Hi there and good morning to all of you tuning in to this Gilnerhurk Baptist uh, church service this Sunday morning. Um, most, if not all of you, will not be familiar with who I am. My name is Benjamin McKay. I am a third year student at the Irish Baptist College. I'd just love to take this opportunity to say thank you for having me along to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And so as we come to do that, let's take some time and pray to God for his help. Let's pray. Dear Father, we know that you are so able to help us in our weakness as we come to your word. We do pray that as we come to it, that you would be pleased to minister to our souls. That you would teach us in your ways through your word and that we would leave feeling in awe of your son and of his grace. We do pray for your help now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder, when you think of good and evil, what what comes first into your head? I wonder, do you maybe think of, of films like Star Wars, where characters like Darth Vader uh, as evil, and Luke Skywalker as good come together, and we see good and evil going head to head? Or maybe you think of uh, Agent Smith and Neo from The Matrix, or Aladdin and Jafar. Or Ariel and Ursula from The Little Mermaid. In these films we, we see good and evil, the people on each side. And when we're watching the good side and the evil side, well, they're, they're usually seen as equal, aren't they? Equal but opposite. They seem to have equal power. And we go through the whole film not knowing who is going to come out on top. Evil may at one point get the upper hand, but, but really we're rooting for the good side. Good and evil is presented as what we might call dualistic, two equal and opposite forces where either side could come out as the victor. And whether it's from, from film or literature or from other mediums, I think that the way we view good and evil in the world is pretty similar to how it's, um, how it's presented in these ways and then when we come to the bible we come with this presupposition then that good and evil are fighting it out in this neck and neck battle where no one knows who is going to win in the end we know that in the bible we we have the one who is good who is of course god and then we are told that satan and his demons are god's enemy and it could be really easy to read the Bible thinking of God as the good force who is really powerful, but then Satan who is equal to him in power but just a bad version. But this would be a grave misconception. And it's a trap we must not fall into. Because if we as Christians live each day thinking that God and Satan are equal forces battling out, out against each other, then we would truly have cause to fear but the picture that the bible paints for us and in particular the passage in luke that we'll be focusing on this morning that picture is drastically different from what we see in films the picture we are shown that yes god is good and satan and his demons are evil but they are by no means equal we are shown that jesus has ultimate full authority over these evil demons at the name of Jesus, demons shudder with fear. 
And this should change the way that we respond to Jesus. And it should change the way that we live as his followers. And so let's turn to God's word together. If you do have your Bible with you, it would be great if you could open up with me and follow along. This morning we're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. And so Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. So let's read God's word and see what truth he has for us this morning. This is God's word. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart to the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. So as we study this this section of scripture this morning, we're going to split it into two sections. And this first section that runs from verse 26 to verse 33, what we see is Jesus' encounter with evil. Jesus' encounter with evil. So previously in the book of Luke, Jesus is in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And now in that same boat, we sail to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And this is a a Gentile region, so a place where where the majority, if not all people, are not Jewish. And unlike in the passage before, where Jesus calms the storm, where we're not going to stay on the boat, but we are told that Jesus steps out onto the land and he was greeted with someone, um, but he he wasn't greeted with someone who was going to guide him to his accommodation or, or some kind of tour guide. Instead, we are told that he's greeted, verse 27, by a man from the city who has demons. 
it, it continues so, so that for a long time it tells us that for a long time he hadn't worn any clothes and he had been living amongst the tombs so what we want to note here is that this man is being portrayed to us um, as something that is just so offensive he was naked which is publicly offensive he lived among the tombs among the dead which make him not only ceremonially unclean but the association with death has dark connotations and then of course we are told that he has been possessed by demons and so what Luke wants us to see is that this man, he's like this microcosm of all things evil and unclean and offensive. And here he is and he meets Jesus face to face. Let's look at verse 28. What does the demon possessed man do? When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you. Do not torment me. So, so Jesus had commanded the demons in this man to come out of him because people had tried many times to lock him up, to chain him and to shackle him, but nothing would work. And so Jesus, he, he was commanding the demon to come out of this man. And the demon responds, begging Jesus not to torment him. The, the demon was, was terrified and the demon knew exactly who Jesus was. In the previous passage in Luke, we see a serious contrast to this. In the previous passage, Jesus' disciples see him calm the storm on the Sea of Galilee. You're maybe familiar with that story. They, they saw him perform this incredible miracle. And this causes them to ask, well, who then is this? Who is this man? And now here in this passage, we see not a follower of Christ, but an enemy of Christ declaring exactly who he is. The possessed man says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This demon shuddered at the presence of Jesus because he knew exactly who he was. He knew that Jesus was the son of God, that he was God himself. And he knew that because of that, Jesus had power and authority to torment him. What is really interesting as well is that in Matthew's account of this event, he includes a further detail where the demon says, have you come to torment us before the time? And so these demons, they knew they were in opposition to God and they knew that one day they would be judged, that they would be tormented. But they were wondering, had it come early? They see Jesus and, and they know his power. They don't attempt to attack him or to kill him. They fall at his feet in fear. But the dialogue then continues between the demons and Jesus because Jesus asks the man, what is your name? He then replies saying that his name was Legion because many demons had entered him. The name Legion was significant because Legion was a term used in the Roman army to denote a group of around 6,000 soldiers. And so this name gets across the idea that there were many demons in this man. And that this was a dark situation. And then we are told that Legion begs Jesus again. But this time explains further what he doesn't want to happen. He begs Jesus not to command them to depart to the abyss. Now, in the Old Testament, the abyss was associated with the, the very depths of the sea. 
it was associated then with separation from God. And then the abyss is also referred to in Revelation, and it's where Satan will be bound for a thousand years. I don't claim to fully understand the connotations of this in Revelation, but what we can deduce is that this abyss is somewhere where, where these demons do not want to go, but somewhere they will go someday. And so Legion begs Jesus not to send them into the abyss, but instead that they would leave the man and go into a herd of pigs that were near them on a hillside. We are told then that Jesus gives them permission to do this. And so the demons then leave the man and enter the pigs. And as soon as they went into the pigs, the pigs ran down the hillside into a lake and they drowned. Now, lots of speculation has been made as to why Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs. And people have had trouble with the fact that this would probably have had a, a negative economic effect on the community. We, we don't fully know. What we can say is, is that Jesus deemed it more right to free this man from the demons and to rid the community of the trouble that he would cause rather than to keep the pigs but then we come to verse 33, uh, and now we're in these verses, what we have seen is Jesus' encounter with evil. And here we want to stop. We want to, to pause and look back over these verses. We want to see what they're showing us. We want to see what they're teaching us about Jesus. And I think it becomes clear to us that the theme that, that dominates these verses, the truth that comes out to us off the page is that Jesus has ultimate authority over evil. Now we, we see this here in his encounter with Legion. We, we see it in so many ways. We see it when, when, when the man falls down at Jesus' feet and declares who he is using a title that is filled with Old Testament background showing the power and authority of God. And then we see it when the demons appear feeble, begging Jesus not to torment them. Uh, and then we see that where human contraptions could, could not hold the demon-possessed man, Jesus' words subdue him in an instant. And then we see that the demons know that all it would take would be for Jesus to command them to go into the abyss and they would be gone. And then we see it where, where they wanted to go into the pigs, but they could only do it with Jesus' permission. And so we see here in this passage that Jesus has authority over these demons and that they are certainly not an equal force against him. But if we can zoom out uh, and if we can see the account of the whole Bible, we see that it is not only here that we see this truth, but right throughout the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, one of the most obvious examples where we, where we see this is in the book of Job. We're at the very beginning, we are introduced to Job and we are told that he is a righteous man and that he fears God. And because of this, Satan wants to test him because he doesn't believe that Job follows God without any ulterior motives. And this is then the significant bit. Satan essentially says, let me take all he says to God, let me take all that he has away from him and we'll see if he still follows you. Notice Satan has to ask for permission. Uh, and God allows Satan to do this. But God says, behold, 
all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. And so Satan asks permission to take away all Job has so that he will supposedly then renounce his faith. And God replies, you can take anything away from him, but you cannot take his life. And so what we see here is that although evil exists, and although for for a time God allows evil and the effects of sin to be effective, nothing more happens than what God has permitted. And this, this this can be difficult. We may ask why God allows or permits these things to happen. And that is an important question, but not one that this text answers. But what the story of Job does teach us, and what this section in Luke 8 shows us, is that although Satan may work his evil in this world, God has him on a leash with no slack. Although he is permitted to work in some ways for now, and although evil seems so prevalent in our world, not one evil power can take one step further than God allows. Nothing happens outside of the power and the authority of Christ. And we, we see that when the demons quake before Jesus in Luke 8. And we see it on the cross where Christ died and rose again so that those who once belonged to Satan, ones who belonged to the kingdom of darkness, can be transferred into his marvellous light. It is on the cross where Satan is defeated and we see this beautifully in the book of Revelation where we, we, we can not focus on some of the difficult details of the book, but in the overall message, what we are shown is that the Lamb wins Revelation 5 verse 1, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, is victorious over all evil. And while Satan can still work now, he is operating as a defeated foe. And one day we are told that he will be utterly vanquished and evil will be a thing of the past. And so you may then want to ask them, well, what significance does this have for me? Well, if you're not a Christian, if you do not know Christ, well, this is news you, you need to hear. Because although there is evil in us, although we are sinful, we see here that Jesus made a way that you could be saved because he was victorious over that evil. And if you are a Christian, this means that you live your life not on the side that is winning, but on the side that has already won. You live knowing that Satan and evil has, has lost its grip on you, that you have been freed by the victory of Christ, and you are free to live a life in devotion to Christ, knowing that his and our enemy is defeated now and will one day be vanquished. Romans 16 verse 20 says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. In verses 26 to 33, we saw Jesus' encounter with evil. We saw that he has ultimate authority over these demons. Then secondly, in verses 34 to 39, we see Jesus' reversal of evil. Uh, and so when Jesus performs this miracle 
all of the crowds who, who were around went and started spreading what they had seen, as I'm sure you could imagine. But people also gathered them round to see what had happened. Uh, and when they did see that the, the man that he, they knew had been previously possessed, they, they'd seen him naked and living around the tombs, when they when they saw him, what did they see? Verse 35, that he was clothed and in his right mind. But the people did not celebrate or, or, or marvel at this amazing miracle. Instead, they were afraid. In fact, in verse 37, we see that because they were so afraid, they asked Jesus to leave. They had just witnessed Jesus perform this miracle and solve this problem of a demon-possessed man in their community. But they reject him and cast him out. But then in the final two verses, we focus back in on the man who has been restored. And it's interesting. It's where the demons who begged Jesus not to cast them away into the abyss. Here we are told that the man begs Jesus to let him come with him. Now, this was not Jesus' plan for the man, but what Jesus does tell him to do is, is to return to his home and to declare how much God has done for him. And that, that's exactly what he did. Now, I, I don't know if any of you have either read or seen The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe that's part of the Chronicles of Narnia series. But in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, in Narnia, that the white witch has cast a curse over all of the land. And this curse causes Narnia to always be in winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, never Christmas. And C.S. Lewis, he, he writes this with the Christian faith in mind. And these stories are analogies of what the Bible teaches. And this curse of it being always winter and never Christmas illustrates to us the effects of sin. We are in this stage where sin taints everything and we can't escape its effects. I, haven't, I have to confess, I haven't read the books, but I have seen the film. And in the film, after seeing all, all the effects of winter on the, on the plants and the creatures in Narnia, that there's this beautiful scene where, where the ice on a branch starts to melt uh, and pink flowers start to bloom. Uh, and the reason this happens is because Aslan, the, the lion who is the Christ figure in the story, he appears. Uh, and it's because of him that the effects of the curse start to become undone. We see this evil being reversed. This is something really similar to what we see in this passage, where we see the evil demon-possessed man who, who, who we said was this microcosm of evil. And then Jesus comes and the effects of this evil are, are reversed. This man is clothed and restored to his right mind. But more importantly, he, he's saved, forgiven, and he wants to follow Christ and proclaim his name among the people. And so we, we see this situation where Jesus comes and he reverses, rolls back the evil that has been caused. And what this does is this gives us a, a glimpse into his greater purpose. Because we have seen that Jesus, he has ultimate authority over these demons. He, he has power over them. The evil still exists in this world. And Satan still has some measure of influence. 
But what we are being shown is that Jesus has the power to undo the evil that has been done. He has the power to overthrow Satan and that all the evil in this world will one day pass away. Where the effects of evil in this passage are reversed, this will be shown to us in more magnificent ways than we could ever imagine. We can see it in our own lives if we have been saved by Christ because he, he has captured hold of our hearts and he transforms us so that we are not as sinful as we once were. And more than this, we are told that all creation will be made new. We ourselves will be given new glorified bodies when Christ returns that, we, that will be perfect and free from blemish. And there will be a new creation where all will be as exactly how God intended it to be, like in the Garden of Eden. Christ has shown that he is the triumphant victor over all evil. But more than this, he, he came to redeem us and to redeem his creation so that we will be no longer tainted by the sin and evil that, that has been so working in this world. But instead, it will one day be perfect and glorious. I hope this gives you great hope this morning. I hope that this morning where you, you've woken up in a world where we don't have the freedom to meet people as we would like, uh, and where we are weighed down by the sin that we so often fall into, and we're horrified by some of the evil things we see in this world, I hope that this morning you can find hope that this is not how it will be forever. I hope you realise that you have a sure hope that Christ came not only to save us and then leave us in this imperfect world, but he came to save us and eventually usher us in to his heavenly kingdom as his chosen people, where we will live in an eternity of perfection and glory and worship to our God. I hope that you can see the promises of this in the Bible and experience the peace and hope that they bring as we await this appointed time. It is my prayer that, that you will not respond like the crowds and reject Jesus in fear or just by ignoring him. But instead, I pray that you would respond like the man whose life was changed by Christ and who wanted to give his all to him. As we see Jesus' display of power here in this man's life, I hope that you see the significance that it has for us in, in our every day. As you get up and sit down at home for work tomorrow, or as you have maybe school online or you're going into school, or as you fulfil your duties as a parent, that one day all will be perfect and we live our lives for God, proclaiming his name among the many until Jesus comes again. We have seen that Jesus is the triumphant victor over all evil and that he has come so that we one day will never experience the effects of evil again. As we close, I would like to read a section of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful through the beauty of Jesus that we can see in your Gospels. We thank you that this passage we have read this morning shows us this glimpse of Christ's greater purpose, that he came to demolish and abolish evil. That if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, we can look forward to a day where evil will be a thing of the past and that we can revel in your majesty and live in worship to you in heaven. We pray that you would that you would work in us, that we would live our lives looking to this day and that we would go and tell of all of the amazing things that you have done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.